a little flexibility can go a long way. By refinancing your newer used auto loan with PenFed, you can lower your monthly payments for more flexibility in your budget. You can even schedule your first payment for up to 60 days from the date of your refinance. Calculate how much you could save at PenFed.org slash autorefi or call 1-800-247-5626 to apply. Membership is open to everyone. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Truth to Power show, and my name is Beverly D. And tonight we have Sister Seta Aset. 
And Sister Seta Aset is a true believer in the metaphysical side of reality. She has written for many publications as Helium and Science Friction Magazine. Her mentors were Dr. Delbert Blair and Bobby Hemet, just to name a few. Right now, she is working on a script for the chemistry that she hopes will gain momentum for the likes of Nexum, Amazon, or the big screen. So it's a pleasure to uh, have with us again Sister Seta Aset. Sister Seta, how are you doing tonight? Sister Hello. Ma'am, can you hear me? Hello. Yes, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay, great, great. I'm doing okay. Doing okay. How about you? Good, good, good. Well, great. Wonderful, wonderful. You know, I um, you know, I always keep up with you. It's mm-hmm, hard to keep mm-hmm. up with you, but I always keep up with you. So you did a reading. <laughs> You did a reading the other day on YouTube, and I it was fantastic. Okay. I loved it. Oh, so I just wanted what, to which throw. Which one was it? Was it Libra? What, what are you again? Uh, yes. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it was Libra. Well, happy uh, birthday. And, this is your birthday. Month. Well, thank you. As a matter of fact, it'll be Monday. So well, I appreciate birthday. it, and thank you. Thank you so much. And I want to say happy belated birthday to you because you were last month. Okay. Yes, yes. You yes. were la- yeah. My sister yeah, was Virgo. last month. Uh, okay, okay. Well, I was married to two Virgos, so. I know about Virgos. <laughs> I have two grandbabies uh, that are Virgos. And, uh, okay. Well, I got three grandbabies that are Virgos. And two of them, Ooh. one set is twins. So you know what I have to deal with. But, <laughs> oh, wow. okay. but I love them to death. I love them to death. Okay. Great, great. Um, okay, well, if you, you want to go ahead. If we wanna go ahead. Y- yes, as a matter of fact, I was going to go ahead and ask if you want to go ahead and do that. Okay, well, yeah. uh, listeners and everyone out there in blog talk land, uh, these novels are for entertainment only. Uh, they're fiction, nonfiction. There is some truth, but they're mainly for us to enjoy and kind of, you know, get our mind on, you know, maybe sort of, how can I say it? It's, it's, it is truth in it, but, you know, I would like to kind of get off the beaten path for a little while. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So I think um, the last the last one we were on is, was part 90, I think it was part 95. 95, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so now we're on part 94. So I'm just going to recap just a tad bit of part 94. So, uh, I'm sorry, part 95. So in that episode, um, a year, you know, was hard head with her husband. He did, she didn't listen to him. So she went out to the pool and she was abducted by the Dogon because she's playing a big role in what's happening uh, with the world today. So, but they brought her back. You know, she wasn't hurt or anything. She was just shaken 
Uh, of course, she never had been through anything like that before. And so she was just afraid and her husband was afraid and and uh, she just kind of was terrified and dazed and confused and didn't know what they wanted with her. So, so here we go. We're on part 94 now, The Return now, Home. What's the, name of the, what's the name of the book that you're reading from? Because you have several. Okay. Uh, there are five, and we're on the first one. We're on... Uh, chemistry bright light and of course we're going we're going to find out what the bright light is uh probably in the next chapter i think it's in the next chapter uh we're going to discover who and what the bright light is okay Okay. so yes there are five this is the first one the second one is gathering of the vanguard which um i am doing an audio book of that one right now also, the war okay. is the third one. Uh, 9X is the one that's really out there. That's the fourth one. And the last one is in the realm of the gods. Both of those at the end is like, it's really terrifying when you read them. It's like, it's mm-hmm. horror. And it's terrifying. And it will really take you through um, uh, apocalyptic apocalyptic times that we may see ourselves in. Those those last two is where those those are going to take us. Okay, and okay. it's all stemming from the bright light from the first book because you won't know what's going on in the next four books if you don't catch what the first one is about. So here we go, part ninety four, the return home. Everybody's got their popcorn and their drinks. Okay, here we go. A few moments later, Leo could sense a prince a presence in the room. So his first reaction was to reach over and feel for his wife, but she was not there. He sprung up from the bed and saw her in the corner, shaking and sobbing quietly, using her robe as a handkerchief. He asked, baby, what's wrong? Why are you crying? She couldn't at the moment answer him, but then he took notice of the red stain on the side of her mouth and asked, is that blood a year I asked you specifically not to leave this room or go anywhere without me. What happened? Tell me. She cried even more when she was not able. She cried even more. And when she was not able to answer, still she could not bring herself to tell him. He held her close to his chest and felt her heart beating fast and strong. He understood her fear and her shame of disregarding his instructions on not listening to him. After she released all her tears over the incident, she was able to gain control of her emotions and said, I came out of the bath and I saw you sleeping peacefully. I didn't think going for a swim would do any harm. When I swam to the shallow end of the pool, I remember I was face to face with some strange men. After that, I don't know what happened to me. For all I knew, I was back at the pool again, sick and confused. I've been sitting in this chair ever since. I'm so scared, Leo, I want to go home. To him, whatever was going on with these people was something serious enough for him to think about leaving the Marine Corps to protect his wife. For the life of him, he could not understand what they wanted with her. Was it related to her name? He kept saying to himself, 
the chosen one, the chosen one. What the fuck did that mean? Why was she the bull's eye? She was just his Nubian beauty from Jacksonville, North Carolina. He married this woman and made her his wife. What was important enough to hurt her or put her through a terrifying ordeal that may have killed her? Whatever the answer, he didn't want to take a chance on leaving her alone again. He held her tighter and thought to himself the first thing he was going to do was make arrangements with his commander to escort his wife back home to America. He helped her up from the chair, took off her bathing suit, and washed her body from head to feet with the warmest water he could find. He especially focused on her stomach, where the priest drew a weird manifestation of a small figure on her. The water from the shower rained down on her head, awakening her from her slumber. She began to fight to try and remove his hands from her body. She was reliving the attack the strangers had done to her. But once she realized it was her husband, she clinged to him as hard as she could. He got into the shower, fully clothed with her. He promised her that they would leave that night, even if it meant sitting at the airport, waiting for a plane back to Molly, and then home. All the while they were packing, Ayera was silent, and Leo was thinking he had to put a stop to the stranger's constant harassment of his wife by kicking their asses and taking names. But this was apparently not enough to warrant them off. Why should he have to take his wife home? After all, this was her wish to enjoy the motherland, a land of beauty. Why? But he had had enough of the wise, and he was ready to act upon the situation, ready to put all of this shit to rest. If he had to enlist the help of his fellow Marines, he was going to stop these people in their tracks. It would be several hours before the plane back to Molly departed, and Leo let it be known vocally that two unnerving people wanted to board it as soon as possible under the circumstances of their present situation. The ticket agent saw the urgency, heard the urgency in his tone and posture, and said as soon as the plane has been properly checked and pre-inspected for takeoff, they would be the first ones to board. That satisfied him at the moment, but he vowed to continually put pressure on the airlines. Leo walked with his wife to the ladies' room to give her a private moment to herself. He checked it before allowing her to enter. Standing outside of the door, he called General Miller to inform him they were coming back to the site. The airlines announced over the intercom the flight to Mali was now boarding. Ayura heard this, and as soon as the announcement was over, she hurried out and grabbed his waiting hand and commenced to follow the instructions to board the plane. The couple found two seats close to the stewardess quarters in first class and remained there for the duration of the trip. What was once a beautiful beginning to knowing all the parts of your roots became a nightmare in the making. Yet the farther she got away, she still couldn't shake the feeling of the need to be near the pyramids. If Leo gave her a penny for her thoughts, he would think she had lost her mind. But something beckoning her taught her to return, and one day 
she knew she would. As always, going to a place is less time-consuming than on the return, and this was a good thing for Leo, for he was more than ready to share the experience he and his wife had on their vacation with General Miller. They could see the one runway from their seats, and before long, the plane touched down on the ground, and this was music to his ears. The first thing Major Knight spotted was the familiar M0442 Jeep he was assigned to drive while on duty, and his best pal, Master Sergeant Greer, was behind the wheel. Beside him was General Miller, who had come along to escort them back to the site. Didn't expect to see you back so soon, said Sergeant Greer. Well, neither did I. We had planned on being there until the Marines came looking for us, joked Leo. But I'm glad we're back. Not as much as I am, said Ayera. Puzzled, the sergeant said, Hmm, good to see you too, Mrs. Knight. You were supposed to be back for another week and a half. Well, what happened up there? You mind my asking, said the general. Leo pulled the general to the side and said quietly, Sir, I don't mind explaining it to you, but now is not the right time. When we get to the site, I will fill you in on the details. Ayura is super sensitive at the moment, and I don't want her to relive the incident. And with that, Avery ceased his inquisitiveness about the trip and remained closed mouthed during the ride back. Garvin gave Leo updates on the everyday funnies concerning the Marines. Well, how is the African military holding up? asked Leo. They are good, performing outstandingly efficient, and I am pleased, the general replied. The ride-in was smooth and drama-free, except for the few onlookers from the various press affiliates still hanging around near the entrance of the site. They were a die-hard breed, inquiring all they could see or take pictures as close up as they could, but not achieving anything worth reporting back to their news outlets. It had been well over a year since the making of this mission, and they had not found out or knew nothing, anything, since its conception. Upon their arrival, Ayura was placed in the scientist's quarters while Leo checked into his barrack. After they settled in, he was summoned to report to the general's quarters. The first thing Avery asked was, Son, now what the hell happened up there that would make you want to leave the Marines? You know we do anything to protect and serve the United States of America. We kick ass and ask questions later. We don't take shit from nobody. And you're my best Marine. I know you can kick ass. Well, that's just the point, sir. While we were vacationing, I saw what seemed like the same tribe of people Nimbo Ross described after we arrived here. Sir, they were outside of our room looking up at our balcony. I told my wife to stay in the room, and I went downstairs, and I kicked ass going and coming. But she didn't listen to me when I told her to stay put. So while I slept, they abducted her. 
They returned her unharmed, but she is scared out of her mind right now, and so am I. I can't leave her unattended anywhere, not even in North Carolina, which is where we're heading tomorrow. Sir, I am officially resigning. I will have my papers for you in the morning. The general was sorry to hear what happened to Mrs. Knight, but he felt that was no reason for Leo to resign. You know what you're doing, don't you? You're giving up 23 years of serving your country. I've known you since you joined the Marines when you were just a young buck at 18 years old and didn't know shit. I have seen what you are capable of, who you've become, and what you can do. Leonard, you are a natural-born leader. You are smart, cunning, and fearless. You can shoot a blue feather off a peacock 200 yards away. In five years, you will be a general, and you want to give it all up? Sir, you wasn't there. It's not a point of being the hell of a soldier that I am. The point is these people have something more, much more than we could ever imagine in this life, and no bullet is going to stop it. There's magic and mysticism to the madness. I can't explain it, but we can feel it, and I refuse to go up against it. I just need my wife away from here. Sir, I have fulfilled my duty in serving and protecting America under oath. Now I am married and I swore to the creators that I protect and serve my wife. She needs me more. The following day, after much discussion, the general accepted Leo's resignation and he signed the necessary papers to remove himself with an honorable discharge from the clutches of Uncle Sam. Later, his fellow Marines with whom he served with was saddened, but they understood his reasoning, and they knew that family came first. But if ever any one of them needed him for whatever reason, he promised he'd be there. Ayura, in the meantime, was being introduced to all of the scientists. When Dr. Ocellus met her for the first time, she said nothing about the shape of a silhouette from the side of the triangle ship depicting a woman who favored the likes of her. She wanted to question her in private away from the others. Leo and his wife never unpacked anything when they returned. They replaced the clothes on their backs with fresh new ones, and whatever he left behind in the barrack, Leo packed in his bags. At the mess hall, the knights described the happier parts of their vacation with everyone. They encouraged them to visit the pyramids for the beauty. In what a, civil, a civilization did thousands of years ago without the technology of today. They never spoke about their experiences with the Dogon. As the couple was turning in for one more night at the site, Ayura's attention was attuned to a shadowy figure behind the scientist's barracks, and it called out her name quietly. Ayura, Ayura. Can I speak with you, please? Who is that? Dr. Ocellus, is that you? Yes, it's important that I speak with you in private. Ayura followed her away from the barracks to a secluded oasis. In the far background, about a half a dozen of foot, about a half a football away, you could see one light on each one of the spaceships 
begin to activate. Your husband, has he ever mentioned to you what he's doing here? No. All he ever said was he was being deployed to Africa and stationed here for a few years. And all I ever wanted to do was visit the motherland. And this was my opportunity to. Well, since he hasn't told you what he's doing here, I don't think I should either. But I will say this. This place and all that's in it is top secret. At dinner tonight, you were describing your vacation as a great time you shared with your husband. But I didn't feel that. I felt like you were holding something back that you didn't want to discuss or was afraid to mention. And I think it's not your business to ask me anything about it. Oh, but it is my business because I believe you are the target of all of this, you and Leonard. Have you been visited by strangers? A year wanted to run to tell Leo and get the hell out of that place immediately, but was too afraid not to listen to what this woman had to say. She answered, Yes, I have. There were strange men standing before me who never said a word. They all stared right through me to my soul. For the life of me, I can't remember much of anything. All I vaguely remember is they drew something on my body, my stomach, and gave me something horrible to drink. Other than that, I can't remember when I left or when I was returned, but so far I'm okay. You and the major need to get the hell out of here and go as far away as you can. I think a new revelation is about to begin, and you are the center of it. Well, why me? Well, why does the sun shine? Why are we here on this planet? Where do we come from, and what's our purpose? These are many unanswered questions. Some we know and some we don't. There's a big question here about you, and I don't know what it is, but I'm working on it. I have hints, but I'm not sure what they mean. In order for me to inform you, I'd have to tell you what we're doing here, and I can't. All I can say is go far away as possible, and if I'm wrong, then that will be a good thing. But if I'm not, then please call me. Let me know what's going on with you. Here, I've already written down my number where I can be reached. And remember, I'll help you both through this. After they spoke, Ayura went to the barracks. She shared with Dr. Ashabe and Carter. She thought no more of her meeting with Dr. Ocellos. The morning after, as she was preparing to gather her luggage, she was met by her husband, who had packed his things and was attempting to pack hers in the jeep when they were confronted by Dr. Ocellos. I have given you my wife my number. The talk we had before the trip, it's coming to pass, and I found more evidence while you were gone. I said nothing to her about our discussion, but she told me what happened to her in Egypt. I think you should tell her what I told you when you're gone far away from here. At first, I thought you were just foolishly thinking what you were telling me about those ships. Now I'm not so sure. The ordeal we went through was frightening, frightening, but at the same time, it felt like our destiny. I'm not getting up and running away. I feel like I shouldn't be in a position of authority because this is bigger than a nation any nation. 
I should be neutral. When we get to that place, wherever it is, I'll call you. While I'm sure the president would want me to keep in constant contact with you, this will only be between us and Leo. Keep her safe. She's the key. At the airport, one of the C-31 planes was standing ready to transport the major and his wife 4,230 miles back to the state, while 280 additional black soldiers were unloading radar equipment, transportation, and other supplies to the site from two other C-3 transports and two other planes that were huge in size. Leo realized that these were the new experimental transports the general mentioned a couple of years ago during their talks. Looks big, General. What's that all about? You forget. You're not a soldier anymore. The ride back in the C-31 is a courtesy from the U.S. military for your years of service. I can't discuss this with you. I understand. Well, it's been an adventure and a great one. I loved every minute of it, but life goes on. Sir, it's been a pleasure. And it has been a pleasure knowing you too, Major. Bye, Avery, said Ayera. It was finally nice to meet you. I hope your short time here satisfied your love for this country. When the general spoke about the beautiful Africa, Ayera remembered to call her uncle. Oh, honey, I forgot to call my uncle. Thanks for putting that on my mind, General. Do you do I have time? The general looked at his watch and said, You have a few minutes left. I don't see why not. Ayera dialed her uncle's number. Hello, Uncle, it's me, Ayera. Darling, how are you? Are you coming back to visit us? No, I'm going home back to the States. Something came up. Leo and I have to leave. Did you tell him about the Dogon like I told you to? No, I didn't, but during the trip, they found me, and I don't know why. Uncle, it's me they want. Do you know why? Well, how do you know this? because Leo and I encountered them on our vacation. Well, I don't know why they would want you, sweetheart. Just be careful and cling to your husband. He will protect you. I just know he will. Well, I love you, Uncle, and tell May May I love her too. We love you back. Be safe. They hung up from each other, hoping for the best outcome for her. She returned to her husband and boarded the plane. The general watched as they lifted off into the clear blue sky and disappeared into the horizon. While on board, the two lovers mapped out what their goal was, and that was to forget about the first and only vacation they ever experienced together. Leo also wanted to leave behind the mystery of the mission and the objects at the core of it all. In his heart and soul, he wished them the best. He asked himself, being a former military soldier, would he be void of the mission, knowing what was out there and what he could tell a tabloid magazine? The general never said what he could not do. He was pretty sure they would keep a watchful eye on him and his wife. So he decided to move as far away as he could, but he had not mentioned this decision to his wife. When the plane sat down back in North Carolina, Ayura felt happy to be home once again. 
the place where she left a week and a half ago. To Leo, it was an exhilaration in spirit, coming back to the familiar. They were escorted off the base to an awaiting checker cab and drove 54 miles to 963 Amway Circle near the Atlantic coast. Okay, that was part 94, the return home. So, okay. any questions? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was getting interesting there <clears throat> to see what, why they want her. What, what is that all about? And uh, him giving up his position in the military, you know, uh, that was a big move to make so quickly. But um, well, you know, this is fiction, so you know, I know it, it doesn't work that fast. But you know, that's I try to you know get it worked in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, um, my my thing is. Uh, what they wanted with her, it's, it's sort of like the feminine energy, you know, is what, mm. what we're in now. So, okay. you know, okay. I think, yeah, I think that's what's happening with her. It's the feminine energy about to come and, you know, get things straight from, you know, what it was with, you know, the Christianity and the masculine and taking over and all this stuff. So I think she's coming to interview because, and we're not, it's, it's not this, uh, androgynous stuff these are women with men so the the true woman is going to take this over again back to the feminine energy the true feminine energy right that's what i think yeah so the tribe uh they know who she is because they have tapped into the universe or whatever and they know that you know, it's her that she was coming. They already was aware. Exactly. They, it's about her, but it's not about her. I think she's, I think okay. they know that she is a vessel. And they have to okay. see about or protect this vessel. Because I think something's mm. going to, to me, I feel like it's something that's working, going to work through her. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So they they say that it started with the black woman, and so you know it seems like it's going full circle, and whatever this shift that's going on, I'm just kind of relating it to what's going on now. You know, they saying well, that you, it's you're doing a good woman. job. <laughs> you're doing a good job. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so that was okay. um ninety four. Right. Now that was part ninety four, the return home. So okay. do we have time to do another? Oh yeah, we got I gave I got put extra time on. Okay, well we could probably do two more. I'm not trying to read okay. too fast, but I'm trying to emphasize on some of the words, you know, but we'll go. We'll go again. Okay. okay. Part <laughs> part ninety three, the big move. So you know they were talking about getting the hell out of Dodge, right? So right, and right. she was telling and the doctor, here she come, Dr. Ocello, she's kinda like in this mix too. She's got a lot to do mm-hmm. with this, but see the general don't really know just how much that Dr. Ocellos is involved. 
and neither mm-hmm. does um, Nimbo Ross. You know, he's the head scientist, and he don't know how much uh, Dr. Ocellus is involved. Nobody knows that oh. the president, well, they know the president sent her there, but they don't know how deep she is in with the president. Okay. 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 So. And then ain't it, it, ain't okay, it so. kind of like, you know, it's no such thing as coincidence, but she she picked this guy, the lady's husband, to tell him a little something. Did mm-hmm. she know that his, who his wife was? Or that was just, uh, well, I, you know, ain't no coincidence, but did she know who his wife was or she didn't? I think I think she did because, you know, when she first arrived, she could tell what was on those ships before all of any of those scientists who had been there before she was there. And when she got okay. there, she, she like interpreted a whole lot of stuff on those ships, but she didn't tell anybody. Okay. She told Leo. So I, mm-hmm. I think she kind of figured cause it's, it's got to do something with him and his wife, not so much okay. as him, but she's got to get him to protect his wife. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Part ninety-three. We're on ninety-three. We're doing a countdown. Ninety-three. Mm-hmm. The big move. During this time of year, Amway Circle was littered with needles and pine cones. The scent of the pine in the air was welcoming, and the temperature was a bit warmer than normal. The nights felt right at home, like they did before they departed. The fall solstice had come and gone. The days were growing shorter, and the nights were getting longer. September was a beautiful time of the year for this part of the country. Leo put the key in the door and opened it. There it was, his trusty brown recliner, just like he left it. He couldn't wait until he sat in it. But it would have to wait as Ayira demanded his assistance with her in putting their things away. After all that was done, Ayira took the keys to their late model 2011 Cadillac sedan and left to shop at the grocer's to replace most of the food that she threw out from the fridge. While she was away, Leo turned on the big screen television and found a football game. Next, he made a cozy fire in the fireplace and jumped in his chair, crossing his legs with arms folded. Later, with the volume seemingly as loud as it would go, he thought he heard a noise at the entrance to the garage. He thought Ayira was returning from the store, but that could not be. She had just left 15 minutes ago. He rose up and went into the kitchen. He peeked out of the door that led to the garage and saw nothing. Hmm. Must have been the wind. After he saw it was nothing, he returned to his comfortable chair and the rest of the game. Again, he heard a noise in the garage an hour later. He reached behind the credenza, grabbed the baseball bat he used in college, and entered the kitchen. He turned on the light that lit the garage and stood by the door. When the door opened, he swung and almost hit his wife in her head as she was coming in with a bag of groceries. Leo, damn it, I almost hit you. Why? I heard a noise about an hour ago. I looked and it was nothing there. After all that happened to us in Africa, I'm not taking any chances. I understand, but please be careful. Will you go and get the rest of the food out of the car? Thank you. 
Okay, baby, just know I might be armed and dangerous until I'm comfortable that we're safe. Bringing in a total of nine recycled grocery bags full of food into the house, Leo assisted his wife of restocking their shelves and the big steel gray refrigerator. Normally, she would prepare some traditional Sunday dinner, but it was a very cool day, and to Ayura, that called for a big hot bowl of chili that was handed down to her by Leo's mother when they visited his family during their courtship. It was one of his favorite foods his mother prepared for him. The fire was dying down in the fireplace, and after supper, the two retired to their bedroom. Red room, Kima, Parsi, Labirintu. What? Who are you? And what do you want with my wife? Asked Leo. The manifest faded away in the dream, the same way it appeared. Ayura shook her husband out of his nightmare and asked him, was he all right? No, I'm not all right. I just had a, one of the worst nightmares in my life. This thing, I don't know what it was. It didn't look human. I, it wanted you, and I was fighting for our lives. But behind it was a, I don't know. Yeah, it may have been a man or something. I just don't know. It was like the man was giving it orders. He, the man, was dressed in all gold, and he glittered so brightly that I couldn't see his face. He talked to the whatever it was, and it wanted you. It was so real, Leo said, nervously sweating. Well, try to go back to sleep. It was obviously a dream. You're hanging on to the trip we made in Cairo. Let it go. It's in the past. You and I are safe now. We're snuggled in our home in the good old USA, and no one here to bother us. Ayera turned the light out and gathered her husband in her, in her arms, and as he held on to her, they both went to sleep until the next morning, during which Leo had to go into town and finalize his military papers and officially become John Q. Citizen. Ayera sat on the sofa, basking in the sunshine on their indoor-outdoor patio while reading her favorite novel, I found my sunshine when she fell asleep. What? I can't see your face. You're standing in front of me with the sun directly behind you. Who are you? I don't understand what you're saying. No. No, I will not go with you. No. Leo, where are you? Leo. I'm here, darling. I'm here. Wake up. Wake up, baby. Leo happened to walk in the house and heard Ayura screaming at the top of her lungs about being abducted by someone or something in her daymare. He sat down beside her and held her body tight, and she said, I must have thought so hard about your dream last night that I had one of my own. But it was so real. He wanted me to come with him, the man in gold. He gleamed like the sun. He was so bright. How is it that we both had the same dream about a man in gold? Well, it beats the hell out of me, but if it continues, 
It may not be a dream at all. Maybe we brought something back from over there with us. It's possible, isn't it? Don't say that. I'm still afraid of what they did to me. I don't want to believe it either, but look at what's happened. Those men watching us, you being abducted, we had to leave Africa, dreams. What else is there? The two sat silently thinking about what he said and passed it off as dreams from the motherland and never thought about it again. Weeks later, the little Halloween revelers brought a sense of normalcy to their lives as the neighborhood was awry with cute little goblins of all sorts. Giving candy to the midget monsters was a joy to the couple, and bowl after bowl of assorted chocolates and popcorn disappeared until finally it was all gone. And just in time, too, for it was late, and the last little monster, accompanied by his mother, received an entire bag of Reese cups. After the fun of trick-or-treating was over, the couple was in bed with their favorite late-night comedy show when the doorbell rang, rousing them out of their watching the television. Leo observed the clock, which showed exactly 11-11. Who the hell is that this time of night, he asked. You shouldn't go to the door, honey. It's late anyway. Let it ring. The bell rang again once more, but then after that, it never rang again. Leo was curious to see who was at his door, so he decided to take a look out of their bedroom window, and he could not believe his eyes. There, across the street from 963 Amway Circle, stood the same man who watched the hotel room he and his wife shared in Cairo. What the hell? What? What is it? She asked. She got out of bed and walked to the window and stood next to her husband. She could not believe the images of what her eyes were reflecting back to her. It was the men from the Dogon tribe. They appeared to them not in a dreamlike state, but actually physically present. Leo closed the curtains quickly to avoid being seen by them in the window. He and his wife turned their backs to the window, and Ayera began to cry afraid for her and her husband's life. Leo was ready to do battle as he retrieved his arsenal of two double-barrel shotguns, his samurai sword, and his gun collection. After he gathered all of his weapons, he ran back to the bedroom window. They were gone. That's it. That's it. First thing in the morning, we're packing up and getting the hell out of here. We can, what we can't take will be added to the cell of this house. There were no more surprise encounters with their unannounced visitors. But as promised, early the next morning, November 1, the couple packed all their necessities in the Jeep and drove to a motel. What they didn't pack, a friend of Leo's, whose business was in real estate, took care of what they left behind. After the house was sold and all that was in it sold, he promised him he would wire the rest of the assets once they determined their destination. He even sold the Cadillac that belonged to Ayera. Getting on I-75 and driving toward his mother's and father's home in Detroit, Leo thought about being near them, 
was the perfect idea. He thought being near family was the answer. But he decided to take a different path away from population. He asked his wife, if you don't want to be found, and if you want to disappear off the face of the earth, where would you go? You certainly do not want to be near people, especially your family. I would go where there was only me and nature. And what do you have in mind, Leo? What are you thinking? I don't want to go where it's cold. I'm hot-blooded. Well, where else is there? If you want to get far away as possible, then we need to go where it's highly unlikely we'll be found. Like North Dakota. Fargo. Go far. North Dakota. We'll buy a house on the outskirts of the city and stay there until we figure this shit out. Are you with me? It's not like I have a choice. But won't we stand out like pepper on a plate of rice? Yes, we will, but you have a choice. You can deal with those people who took you, and God knows what they did to you, or you can go with your husband, who is a Marine, to keep you safe. What's it going to be? Ayur agreed his way was the best way and only way they would be safe from the indigenous people. (laughs) Really? Okay, meanwhile, back in Africa, the general received orders from both Nelson Mandela and the President of the United States to speed up the process of the dig with the help of the African Army. On the advice from Dr. Ocello to the President and General Miller, things were changing with the status of the spacecraft. After the departure of Leonard and Ayara Knight, the device panels on the outside of them begin to show signs of activity. Dr. Ross and his crew of scientists were baffled since they had never shown any signs before. They believed them to be empty remnants of a past transportation system of ancient people, but they didn't know exactly who. One thing that stood out on the triangle ship was that figure of a woman with a small figure or child coming out of her belly, looking upwards toward the heavens. She recalled what Ayura said about what they drew on her stomach and what they gave her the drink. To Dr. Ocellus, this figure may have been represented, may have represented Ayura with child. How could a mortal human child have anything to do with this? Maybe it was an extraterrestrial closely guarding her life. She was proof. She was proof positive that Ayura was certainly the key to a new world order or to a new dimension behind a transparent curtain, but she didn't want to claim that fact just yet. It was something the leaders of the free world were highly concerned about. On the panel of the craft that seemed to be the lead ship, Dr. Ocellus explained to the general that it was displaying some sort of coordinates a location. She advised him that she was working on where it led to. Understanding what these symbols meant would take her a while to decipher, but she would soon figure it out. The symbols displayed past tribes of people and all the languages known to man from a far distant past. There was another language present that humans didn't write 
It was one that none of the scientists could understand. Dr. Ocellus worked long through endless nights for months, armed with Dr. Ross and two other scientists. There was only one message that she was able to decode, but she never told her fellow scientists what it was. But in her haste, she hurriedly related the coded message to the President of the United States. She determined it was up to him to inform anyone else. The thing she did share with them was the coordinates on the panel. It was showing the location of a west-northwest toward the United States. She figured it was displaying a prime meridian of 0.0 degrees latitude and a longitude of 15 degrees. From Mali, West Africa, the spaceships were automatically displaying a calculated direction of west-northwest 125 degrees latitude and west-northwest 45 degrees longitude intentionally for their observers to see. Dr. Ross quickly informed General Miller, and he suggested that they somehow would move the craft in that direction. General Miller contacted the president, who predetermined this might happen. He, in turn, contacted Mandela, and they both agreed the best way to appease the situation was to get the craft out of the land where the security of all they work for may be compromised. At this point, General Miller thought it was too much thought it was too much highly classified information for Dr. Ocellus to share alone without Dr. Ross's attention. He wondered if she was holding back anything she discovered on her own and declared not to share it with him. If she was, he felt his mission would be deemed a failure to his country. But nonetheless, it was a daunting task. Having, hoisting, having the hoisting equipment brought in some of it by cargo ships, and some of it by the huge new planes Leo questioned the general about. The military assisted by the African army were able to do the nearly impossible feat of placing the alien crafts on the plane, flying and shipping it all to the United States following those coordinates. Okay, Sister Bev. We're down to part 93, 92. Any questions okay, on now, that one? <laughs> yeah, I just what, what, what is your take on metaphysically what's going on here with us now? As for now, as opposed to what's happening now, oh God, that's a lot. Uh, whew. You know, it's it's so it's so much. You don't know what they got. You don't know what they found. It's so much changing. You don't know what's in CERN over at CERN. You don't know. You don't actually know what's coming in here. And, and mm-hmm. you know, that's my take in it as far as this story go. Uh, it's a whole lot of secrecy. Um, it, you know, it's things that they don't want us to know, but we're seeing it every day. You can feel it. It's it, it's um. I don't know. It's something that I feel this, everybody should be feeling. This is change. Everything is changed right down to the air we breathe in. It's everything is just changed. The, oh yeah. God, what's the word? How can I say it? Uh, because it kind of just looks like I, <laughs> the weather. I mean, it just, it's, it just feels different. Seems like we're dealing with something 
that's different. You know, we don't know. And like you say, it's a lot of secrecy. I think that you got to really get in tune into whatever you want to call it, occult, metaphysics, uh, spirit. I I just feel like you got to, like, really get in tune, make a connection, because there's something that's going on here. I actually think that we're in a different dimension right now. I think we're not even in the third dimension anymore. I think we're past that. We're because everything is so different and everything has changed. We're not it's not the same. The dimension is not the same anymore. And if you can't get with it and if you can't read between the lines and see what's going on and be really astute and what's going on today, you you are left behind. It's not you're gonna be left behind. You are left behind. So you just, you don't think, so do you feel that once you leave a dimension, you know, there's no coming back, you just go right into the new dimension, the shift or whatever is going on here? Yes, I, I believe that. You, there's there's no way you can go back. Is there you know, there's like, <laughs> well, there's different dimensions in this story because we're going to, because right now, I don't, they're not even in 2012 anymore. Well, they they are in 2012 right now, mm-hmm. but it's it's going to swiftly change as soon as we get to part 91. So, okay. it's, it's just a lot. It's, <laughs> it's so much going on. It's, it's working up to something. It's really okay. working up to, um, well, almost impossible. But, you know, you got to keep in mind, this is fiction, nonfiction. Some of this we're going mm-hmm. through right now. Some of it some of it we may go through because, you know, we discussed before. Uh, we don't know whether it's fiction or nonfiction that we're actually living in right now. That, you know, we're in the matrix right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. All righty, so we are on chapter 92. Part 92, the baby. Okay, here we go. Uh, I see where his wife is coming into play. Yeah, exactly. It's got something to do with what's happening while they keep following her. So here we Mm. go. Part 92, the baby. Once Leo and Ayera safely drove the 1,600-mile two-day trip northwest of Fargo, they headed directly to a realtor. Main Street was just that, Main Street. They were looking forward to a modern city with all its tall, skyscraping monoliths and sun-drenched reflective windows. But what they found was nothing short of a westernized 21st-century Dodge City. They did manage to see a local hospital. After securing a room at the Holiday Inn and before they unloaded the truck, Leo decided to search for a house immediately. While driving down the main fairway, he pulled off the street near a building that housed Icon Realty. That was the name on the door overhang. They entered the well-kept modern office and asked to speak to someone about a home outside of the city, one that would be secluded and private. Well, come in. How can I help you? asked the white-haired gentleman with a look of wonderment in his eyes. My wife and I are seeking a home not too close to town, something just outside of it, 
and very secluded. During this time of year, it's hard to find what you're looking, what you're asking. However, I have one newly vacant home just outside of the city limits and away from the general population. You have neighbors, but they are two miles apart from you. Is that something you might be interested in? You mind if we take a look at it? Asked Ayara. No, not at all. I'd be happy to show you. Mrs. Uh, what did you say your names were? Well, we didn't, but my name is Bill Bradley, and this is my wife, Adiola. All right, Mr. and Mrs. Bradley, my name is Hal Gentry. Let me grab my coat, and we'll be on our way. With no questions asked, Ayara knew why her husband lied about their identities. He didn't want to be found by absolutely no one. If he wanted to be contacted, it would be at his request. The people of Fargo would be curious about them because they were the only color in a medium-sized city that they could see. There may have been others, but none have surfaced so far. They drove down McFarland Street, and from there they drove six miles north to a four-way stop. They turned left and drove three more miles, and eight blocks later, they drove onto a half-mile road to a fairly large modern two-story bungalow. The dark green house with its brown shutters was seemingly built in the late 90s. <clears throat> Not very old at all, but it was well kept. The color blended with the forest that surrounded it from afar. It was the perfect hideaway place by Leo standards. It was next to nowhere, and if the neighbors were present, you surely couldn't see them with the naked eye. What's the story on it, Hal? asked Leo. This bungalow was once owned by the governor of North Dakota. He sold it and moved to Bismarck. He's been there ever since. Come in, he said while turning the key. The reason he sold it was because he didn't want to live out in the boonies anymore. But it was more of his wife's desire to live the city life. He's a guy who likes to hunt, you know, shooting deer and wild turkey. He likes to fish, too, and sometimes he comes back up here. But when he does, it's the local holiday inn for him. So how you like it? They walked around and observed the space and realized it was more than adequate to fit their needs. It had two large bedrooms, an open kitchen, den, a nice-sized living area, two intricate design fireplaces, all newly carpeted, two baths and one half bath downstairs. The backyard was a vast eco area where deer or any other animal that's adapted to living in the woods could walk right up to the steps leading down to the yard and into the woods. It was a peaceful and tranquil feeling. It was a peaceful and tranquil feeling far removed from city life. Leo was in love with it. To Ayara, it was too quiet. I feel somewhat like the governor's wife out here, she said. What's the asking price? He wants $380,000 and is sitting on five acres of timberland. He says it's all or nothing. We'll take it. I'll bring you the cashier's check as soon as my lawyer wires it to me, replied Leo. The two men and Ayara shook hands and departed the property. They followed the realtor back to town and made their way back to the hotel where Leo contacted his lawyer, and within three days of the sale of the property and the car, he wired Leo the proceeds. They, in turn, received more than enough money for the sale of the house, so Leo paid Icon Realty cash 
for the home. After signing the deed, Hal said, Here's your keys, Mr. and Mrs. Bradley. I hope you enjoy your new home. It wasn't long after the move-in that they finished decorating the bungalow in a comfy, cozy style. Working 12 to 15-hour days inside and out of the house, they were now ready to call it a week of do-nothing but sit and stare out of the big window towards the serene and picturesque backyard. A month passed, and no one found out about them, nor did anyone inquire. Suddenly, Leo and Ayera experienced their first snowstorm in the northern woods. It was a beautiful sight, nature at its best. Neither of them could even imagine so much snow falling from the heavens in such a short period of time, which is happening now today, I might add. It was a good thing they were prepared. Leo bought a snow skier in case they were not able to leave the house, and coupled with the Jeep, they would survive the worst. The woods was chopped. The wood was chopped and stacked in full supply. Candles were at the ready in case there was a power outage. Christmas in the Woods was a picture-perfect postcard mailed to them in real life, but they felt like they were living in it. I would love to send my folks a picture of the scenery. There are woods in Michigan, but you have to go over 100 miles outside of Detroit to see it, whereas we're right in it. Do you think they would wonder where we were besides North Carolina? You know, Carolina has woods too. If someone is looking for us, they would think we're in Carolina. This is a good cover, said Leo. A year applied. I don't see why they couldn't. We could take a picture together, but not near the house. Leo retrieved the camera, timed it, and joined his wife at the forest edge. One, two, three, and it automatically snapped their picture. A year found an envelope, and Leo attempted to take the picture into the local post office. He was about to mail it to his family with a no-return address and hoping no trace of his origin could be tracked back to them. Fearing placing his people in danger or visited by the no-name strangers, he decided not to mail it after all. Departing from the post office and on to the local grocery store to pick up a few things at the request of his wife, he overheard two elderly gentlemen complimenting, com- commenting on a big gathering of military in the town over from Fargo. I hear the military has taken over the town of Minot. Oh, yeah, why? Seems they have something very important at that Air Force base they don't want anyone to know about. Well, now, how do you know that? My son has a black friend who is stationed there. They moved my boy to Alabama, and now the only soldiers stationed at Minot are all black. Beats the hell out of me. Well, it sounds like reverse discrimination. Hmm. For all I care, they can keep them up there in the cold. (laughs) Racist. As the men went to the counter to pay for their groceries, Leo was shaken at the thought of the military so close to him and his wife. 283 miles was too close. In his heart, they had a purpose for being there. But why, all of a sudden, when the man said all the soldiers were black, it dawned on him 
while all of the new enormously large planes were in Africa to bring the alien craft back to America. Why would they pick this area? Why not Alaska or Washington State, Maine, Vermont, even Iceland? He had many questions. One was how one was how was he going to break the news to Ayera? But he thought not yet, not until he contacted his best friend, Garvin Greer. He would know what's going on. The thought of spoiling a perfectly good Christmas with his wife was not something he wanted to do, but yet life has a way of doing what it wanted to do, regardless of your plans. He wanted to simply make mad, passionate love with her all cozied up in their hideaway bungalow, alone, with no worries about the past. He left the milk and the bread on the black marble countertop he had brought back from the store and walked right past his wife. His mind was engrossed in the news. He was not thinking to give her the signature kiss on the nose or the pat on her bottom to show her playful, loving ways. She asked, what's wrong? Nothing. What makes you think something is wrong? You walk right past me without looking. It's not your usual greeting when you come near me. I can see it on your face. Is there a problem? No, sweetheart. Why do you always think there's a problem? She asked no more questions of him while she put away the milk and started supper. He walked away from her and found privacy in the spare bedroom they used for an office. He searched for Garvin's number and found it instantly. He disabled the GPS in his phone to make sure he couldn't be tracked and also made his number private. He was hoping Garvin would answer despite the anemone, the anemone, the anemone, the anonymity or whatever. That's hard for that word of the number, the secret number. Hello? Who is this with my GD number? Garvin shouted. With a smile, Leo said, I was hoping you'd answer. This is Leo. What's the deal, my friend? Hey, how you doing? How's life treating you and Mrs. Knight? We're doing fine. And how is Uncle Sam treating you? Not so nice. It's freezing out here. And he's playing hardball with my... (laughs) They're like two ice cubes hanging on a rope. Where are you, man? Dancing outside in the snow with... Dancing outside in the snow with his hands and his uniform pants. Garvin replied, Shit, we left the nice warm weather in Africa for this cold Dakota-ass whooping. It's storming out here. I mean, snowstorming. Got us niggas out here, and you know how we don't like this shit, man. You ought to be glad you got the hell out when you did. There's not a white boy out here, and you know how much they like the cold. Leo wanted to die laughing, but he knew how much his buddy was suffering. He knew Garvin was mad as hell, but he was an enlisted man who would have to go to the far corners of the earth if he was called to do if he if he was called upon to do so. And that meant even the coldest or the hottest weather on record couldn't save him. Why are you in Dakota? Can you tell me or is it top secret? It's top secret, but hell, I'm gonna tell you anyway. They moved them damn spaceships out here. And for what I don't know. I'm just a sergeant. Well, which Dakota are you in? 
Northman, and it's snowing like a MF out here. That damn Dr. Ocellus is here too, and all the rest of them assholes prying around and looking at them damn ships. I don't know how true this is, but I heard those spaceships led them here. It's crazy, man. Man, that is crazy. How did they do that? The front panel started to light up, and it gave them the longitude and the latitude in North Dakota. I overheard the general talking to the doctor. Garvin paused and said solemnly, It haven't been the same without you, man. Why don't you re-enlist and get your old job back? We miss you. There's no way I'd come back. Twenty-three years was enough for me. Hey, I don't want to keep you on this phone. Besides, you sound like, besides, the way you sound, you're out in it. Yeah, and I'm patrolling, but I'll be going in shortly. The general broke it down where we each patrol every two hours because of the raw cold and the snow. Keep in touch, all right? All right, take it easy, replied Leo as he hung up the phone. He felt some sadness for his friend, but at the same time, he was glad it wasn't him on duty in this weather. But what he found out was more frightening than a snowstorm. How could these crafts tell a human being it wants to be moved to a certain area in the world and for them to find their way here? How did those things know to come here? What, or better still, who was they following? Did Dr. Ocellus know he and his wife was here? If she knew, how did she find out? Well, at the moment, he decided not to tell Ayara. He wanted them both to live a normal life more than anything right now. No fear, just happiness and serenity. So he went on as if nothing happened. Baby, what do you want for supper? I have a nice taco salad and chili soup. The salad is to remind us of summer and the chili soup for the cold winter's night. The look in his eyes said it all. Somehow he knew the time was right to skip supper and give her his love. He wanted a child. He intended to make love all night until she conceived. Okay, so they went at it, whatever, whatever. You buy the book, you can read what happened. Okay, so I am going to <laughs> I'm going to skip all of that. <laughs> skip all of that and I'm gonna keep going. Okay. Time went okay. by so expeditious okay. Time went by so expeditiously expeditiously. It was soon Christmas Eve. Leo Leo awoke to an empty bed, but in return his sense of smell guided him to the kitchen, where the coffee was brewing and a hint of maple syrup was in the atmosphere. On his way to the kitchen, he noticed how much snow had fallen overnight and thought about his buddies patrolling in the thick white stuff. He also observed his beloved wife cooking and inviting breakfast, fit for a king, hers. A year pulled no stops when it comes to feeding her man after every lovemaking session. She had the whole day planned around him. He had the whole day planned around her. I planned on feeding you breakfast in bed, she said. Well, let me help you prepare the trays, he replied. After they had eaten, they placed the trays on the bedroom dresser and watched the day's news, and Leo hoped that no news was good news. He got his wish. After the weatherman predicted more snow was on the way later that evening, and Santa was right on schedule, the couple fell asleep again. The television awoke them both, and that sparked the kid in them to run towards the Christmas tree to open their gifts to each other, since it was past midnight. Tearing through the many gifts was only, 
Parents of the many gifts that was only for them was nice, but it would have been nicer if they were surrounded by family. But they were grateful they had each other. Leo prepared Christmas supper for Ayira, and to work off the meal, they took advantage of the snowfall. They executed a truth or dare to run out into the snow, ass naked, and happily frolicked and played like children until they were extremely too cold to continue. Soon New Year's Eve night was upon them and they decided to go down they decided to go into town for the fireworks and ring in the new year. No one would observe them there as all eyes would be looking toward the sky for the show. When they returned home, Leo and Ayera brought in their own version of twenty twelve. One of the New Year decisions he made was that he felt it was safe enough to take a job, take on a job at the city as a police officer. He knew he would be the first black man on the FPD. He went through many rigorous tests and qualified over the top more than any other candidate applying for the job. He was hired. As time went on, the month of April was approaching in two days, and Ayera was very ill especially after eating one of her favorite foods, salmon croquet. She undoubtedly knew what was wrong with her, but did not bring it to Leo's attention until she was absolutely sure. She missed February and March cycles, and that was the signal she needed. Several pregnancy tests were purchased, and they all tested positive. To be more precise, she visited the local clinic to get a doctor's conclusion. Ayera was pregnant. She wanted to surprise him, so she gave him a call. Honey, I want to take you out tonight. Sure, baby, where are you taking me? Somewhere secluded and private, like the little cafe on Turner Street. Well, I'll be home in 20 minutes. I'm wrapping up a report and calling it a day. See you soon. Leo arrived home right away as promised, and they both prepared to go out on the town for Ayera's unveiling of the most important event in their lives to come. Opening the door for his wife, they arrived at Blue Notes, a little cafe where the music the band played was jazz, the type of music that was Leo's fancy. After sitting and being served drinks, they grooved to the music. Finally, Ayura softly said to him, I have something to tell you. I'm pregnant. Leo sat stunned, but happy all in the same tone. It was hard to describe the words that he tried to say to her, but could only express his feelings by lifting his wife up in his arms and kissing her endlessly. The patrons were clapping and congratulating them on the birth after Leo shouted out that they were pregnant. He couldn't control himself. As time passed, Ayera grew large all over, and her doctor's reports were positive, with no problem. But while she waited for the little baby to enter the world, Ayura began to feel the need to associate herself with the motherland again. And since they had abruptly fled from Cairo, her feelings told her that she had lost one of the most important experiences in her life. These feelings were kept hidden from her husband for fear he for fear of him returning to a state of relentless paranoia. He was already becoming overly protective of her, so much so 
that he hired someone to sit with her while he worked. Conversing with her elderly companion, she asked her to keep the things they spoke about within themselves so it wouldn't disturb her husband. She agreed. Harriet shuffled a year back and forth to the library every day, looking through the many books and the unlimited hours spent surfing the Internet, for she kept an insatiable burning desire to know all that was to know about Africa, especially as much information on who she unmistakably thought was her enemy, the Dogon. During a paragraph in the book, The Pale Fox, the baby seemed to awake from his slumber and became very active, so much more than ever before. Even after Ayura began to read Melanin, The Key to Black Greatness, she thought the little one would jump right out of her womb. A mother's instinct told her that reading and learning about her ancestry homeland was a driving necessity she had to fulfill. As the months arrived and departed late one night out of nowhere, a year set up and said, Leo, wake up. The baby's coming. What? The baby is what? Coming? Didn't the doctor say the baby would come by Christmas? Yes, but our baby wants to be free now. Hurry, I know this is it. This time, this is real. Not like the last few false alarms. We have to go, honey, she said calmly. Leo bounded out of bed this cold December 20th night with a few minutes before midnight with only his pajamas, shoes, and a trench coat on. He placed her coat around her shoulders and made it to the hospital in the nick of time for the little baby to be born. The doctor was called in for delivery, and when he arrived, he and the nurses were teasing one another about the date and the year of the baby's birth. Well, I hope the sky doesn't fall in today, said one nurse. Yeah, it might if you want to believe in that kind of shit, the doctor replied. At the stroke of midnight, Ayura brought into this world a light that contained a tiny ball of wonder and beauty. Wearing hospital garb and protective covering over his face, Leo entered Ayura's room with their little one. Look what we've done. I can't believe we've made a little person. What are we going to name her? I don't know. Whatever you decide. No, we shared our love together. We did this together, and we have to decide together. Ayura, I love you with all of my being. And, I, and, and I'm in love with you so much, too, she replied. Naming the little baby was easy. Leo picked her mother's name, Ayura. He loved what his wife's name meant in African, the chosen one. Ayura chose for her first name, Femi. In African, it means God loves me. Nothing happened that day. The predictors were wrong at the moment. Okay. That was part 92, the baby. All right. Now, <laughs> uh, I have some, but if anyone have any questions, you can call 323 642-1586-323-642-1586 and push the number one. Now, how many, uh, do they know how many ships landed or crashed? Did they land or crash or what? Well, they crashed 
I'm not. I don't think they crashed. I think they landed in Africa okay. like maybe thousands of years ago. It couldn't have been hundreds of years ago. It had to be thousands. Those ships had to have been there a long time because you know the sand had covered them. So, okay, so this uh, is not something recently. They was out there digging, and they found they found this. Is that what happened? Yeah. Yeah, they were digging for oil. Remember, they were digging for oil, and then one of the machines that, you know, they go down so deep, so far that it hit the ship, one of the ships, and that's how they, and they brought in other equipment and got the sand off of them, and that's how they knew they were down there under that sand, and so that's when they were in Africa. Well, when a year left, and Leo left Africa after that disaster of a vacation they had in, in Cairo. And they come to come back home. And then the Dogon followed them here. And then they had to leave again to go hide in Dakota. You know, it was like the ships were basically following her. And so, you know, they put out, they started putting out uh, uh, longitude and latitude, you know, um, uh, they map well. I can't think of the word, but anyway, they were following her, and so that's how they, uh, you know, that's how uh, Doctor Ocellus knew that those were coordinates to some place mm-hmm. on Earth. So you know, they found out that oh, okay, so they, they these ships want us. Something's happening in North Dakota. Well, as you know, in North Dakota and Minot, North Dakota, there was a there was a lot of um, alien spacecraft that was had been sighted, especially back in the 50s and the 60s, not only in New Mexico and not only in Arizona, but, you know, it was a lot of sightings in North Dakota, too, on spacecraft. Right. I think it was in 1968 that they called it the Blue Book, the Blue Book, some kind mm-hmm. of Blue Book project mm-hmm. in North mm-hmm. Dakota. And so okay. it's, it's nothing that's new for a ship, a spaceship to be in North Dakota. But that's where these ships wanted to go. Basically, they was following her. And, and you said her husband became an FBI agent? Oh, he became a sheriff in that town. Oh, he became a sheriff. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know where mm-hmm. I got FBI. Okay. okay. Oh, they so were in the beginning. Left. You know, the men in black was in the beginning, but go ahead. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he left the military, and now they living in North Dakota. He's a sheriff. She's pregnant, having a baby, and the ships want to come to North Dakota. So now the doctor and them is coming to North Dakota. Do Leo know all of this yet? Yeah, you know, he was talking to uh, Garvin. You know, Garvin is the one that's in the boulet that the we, I think he knows a little bit. Is in the boulet, Garvin, his friend that's married to the oh, lady that was pissed off. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's okay. still in the military. And he was asking mm-hmm. Leo, man, why don't you come back? Because he was freezing out there. I mean, he was frozen all over. <laughs> it was, I think that mm-hmm. part was funny, though. But um, mm-hmm. he's wanting him to come back. And he was, because Leo called him to question after he heard those two. Old white folks in that store talking about over there in Minot, they done took all of them out and put all these black folks in here. 
you know, because they can't be trusted mm-hmm. with the secret. And he was saying oh, that they took his son and mm-hmm. yeah, they took his and, son and, and sent him to Alabama. Mm. Okay, so he talking because about the, mil- the military people that they have put in there. Right, they changed the military up. They took all the right. white soldiers, the military soldiers, and sent them somewhere else because you know they didn't have them in, on the mission in Africa. You know, okay. they didn't include any of them because they don't know how to keep the secret. Oh, and so okay. they replaced them with all black military folks. Because they, I guess they figured mm-hmm. they could trust them because, you know, we're we going to keep massive secrets, you know. So, mm-hmm. and this is highly secretive, these, these spaceships, because you know, they don't want human humankind to know that nothing's happening here. Like they, and like they're secretive now, because we know. We know there's aliens here. We know there's spaceships mm-hmm. here right to this day. But they're not going right. to tell you. Right. Yeah. And, and it's probably men and black, too. Because usually the movies tell you what's going on. Yes, they will tell you what's going on before you even know. And you sitting around thinking, mm-hmm. you know, going shopping and doing your little normal everyday things while you're being hypnotized and you know, wearing your sunglasses, you take them sunglasses off. What's that movie? They live while you walking around yeah. here. They living. <laughs> they they got you dumbfounded and hypnotized and stuff. You know, you are definitely in the matrix. So, but you know, mm-hmm. Leo and Ayura is actually living the the non matrix because they're in it, and it's got it's it's mm-hmm. got everything to do with her. And I think that baby she just had. I don't think it's so much yeah, her oh, as it is. Yeah. The baby. Mm-hmm. Wow, the future. Okay. So uh-huh. reading from you you have five books and you're reading from the bright night. Yeah, the baby the was the book. bright light. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the baby was the bright light. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. And that's the name of the book. Right, that was the title that I chose for it because it was the baby that's bringing in the light, this wake, this okay. awakening, the eyes of every, that's going to awaken the eyes of everybody because, wow, it's it's going to be something. I have, I think, let's see, there is one more chapter left in mm-hmm. this book. If I can screech it in, I think yeah, I might. How much? Time. How much? Yeah. Can we screech we it in? Time. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You got time. Okay. So this is okay. chapter, well, it chapter is. 91. Uh-huh, this is chapter 91, the disappearance. And I actually, let's see, I don't think, I don't think there's, I don't know if there's another chapter after this one. Um, let's see if I can pull it. Well, I can't pull it. Well, since I have 29 minutes, I better go with it. Okay, uh, it might be one after this, maybe a couple after this, but we can go ahead on and do this to kind of give us, you know, uh, a good way off, you know, a good way out of this um, this show here. Okay. okay. This will help us from when good. we come in next week, maybe. Okay, part okay. 91, The Disappearance. Giving birth to Femi was relatively easy for a year, and living life afterwards was a challenge for the three of them. Although Leo watched over his shoulder from time to time, basically he went on with his work as normal as possible. 
That was one of the reasons he chose his profession, to be ahead on the latest news about the Minot Air Force Base. So if he's a cop, he can really find out what's going on over there at that base. While arresting a thief for trying to steal a set of tires, Sheriff Chris Pete said to him, never seen anything like it before, have you? Like what? It's just your typical asshole arrest, replied Leo. No, I'm not talking about this fool. I'm talking about what I saw when I had to make a trip over at the Air Force Base over in Minot. There was nothing but black soldiers over there, and it was so damn many of them. Not being ugly or anything, but I was afraid. Imagine me being afraid. Don't tell anyone I said that. Well, what you were, what were you afraid of? Were they threatening you? No, but they were very aggressive. I believe they're doing something secretive. They're so tight-lipped over there. And whoever is overseeing the project apparently doesn't want anything but black soldiers to command it. I don't get it. But in October of 1968, the Air Force Base was the Air Force Base encountered a situation that involved a UFO. They call it Project Blue Book. At the time, they played down it as a hoax. But there were several eyewitnesses on the ground at that base that saw it. The missile control personnel and the maintenance crews all seen it. A B-52 bomber jet spotted it and recorded it. They had a lengthy conversation about it when it was going down, but when they but what they didn't but they didn't take it any further. They claimed it was the Star Sirius or Vega that was on the horizon at the time. Sheriff Pete paused a second, wiped his upper lip, and asked Leo, Well, you have a military background, right? How about you go over to Minot and see what's going on? It would look better if you went. I want to know what's going on so close to my city. Before Leo could answer, he was very offended by what his boss asked of him, but he could understand his concern. To throw him off subject, Leo said, Hell, in 1968, I wasn't even born yet, so I don't know what you're talking about. Why are you scared, Chris? Last time you were the sh- last time I knew you were the sheriff. Go ask him yourself. I am no longer in the military. Besides, I know how they work. They will tell you nothing. And if the base is off limits, then you are shot where you stand when it's a matter of security. And don't think you have the right in this instance. You don't. Fire me if you want, but I'm not going anywhere near that place. The sheriff didn't speak on the subject anymore, and the two men wrapped up the case at the police station. Leo drove home without a second thought about the base. There was so much Leo wanted to tell Ayer about his days on the job, but he was hesitant for fear of bringing up the past. Not that he would tell the sheriff what his plans were, but he had thoughts of contacting Dr. Ocello. After all, he still had her number. She and his best friend Garvin were the only two people he trusted outside of his family, but he never contacted her. Life went on with with some normalcy as the years rolled by to 2020. Things were different, but not by much. It was possible for all transportation that was driven by gasoline now had the power to be driven by green energy and electricity. Fossil fuel was banned, which they're trying to do now. 
Some aircraft begin to use atomic power for longer flight times overseas. Utility wiring, no matter where you lived, went underground. Public and private schools operated from October to February because of massive global warming warming from Sol, from the sun. Energy to cool and heat dwellings in the U.S. was free of charge because of the advancement of solar power. There was much more natural energy to go around, but chaos was beginning to rear its evil, ugly head, and the people of the world were protesting and reveling, reveling and rebelling about each and every little thing that didn't make sense to the majority of them. So isn't that kind of what we're going through now? Yes, it is. (laughs) A few countries at the time seemed to be in harmony with each other. Oh, man. They were Africa, the United States, Canada, Great Britain, and France. Sister Bev, I have to stop right now. Okay, so I wrote this this mess back in 2006. Uh, Okay. I didn't know. I didn't know all this stuff was going to go on right now. Right. I just have to stop and just kind of, you know, I don't know, kind of think to me. Yes. Oh, wow. Wow. <clears throat> right. Because I'm saying your, your book, it really relates to a lot of things that's going on now. I just have, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I I hadn't read it in a long time. This is my first time reading mm-hmm. it since really I proofed it. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, let me stop. Okay, the rule. Whoa, the rulers in the Far East were making it their business to try and terrify the rest of the world because they became number one in monetary global power. Oh my God! So I'm sorry, Sister Bell. I'm sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. That's okay. But. <laughs> But a close eye was kept upon. I'm. I don't. I don't know where I got it, but it came to me in 2006 when I wrote this stuff. Mm. But anyway, a close mm. eye was kept upon them at all costs. Oh my God. Okay. Leo and Ayara's little long-legged eight-year-old daughter was exceptionally bright. Many times past her years. She knew calculus, algebra, quoted Einstein's theories, and read the entire collection of Dr. Gabriel Oyebo's Grand Unified Theorem. She was learned in plasma physics. The many trips she and her mother took to the local library brought days of endless reading of all materials on quantum theory, sociology, and physiology. The history of all the countries in the world, especially on Africa, Egypt, and the Americas, This child spoke her first complete, intelligent, comprehensive sentence at the tender age of nine months old. This shocked her parents, and at the time, they didn't know what to make of it. They just thought she was going to be an astute learner. Little did they know she would become a genius in every way of life. Her potential was well over the top and off the chart of any ordinary child. And this frightened them. Each day, as Ayura took her daughter to school, her instructor would ask for their permission to send Femi away to an exclusive school for children like her to be tested and taught by some of the world's smartest scholars. And each time she would decline the offer. Their baby doesn't need instruction. She was smart enough to instruct them. 
This child knew everything there was to know about anything and was all too eager to teach her parents what she knew. Leo was becoming very afraid for his family and thought many times about making a move from Fargo. But each time at the very moment he thought about it, Femi would come to him and ask her father not to. This frightened him more than anything. This frightened him more than any man ever could. He wondered if she was reading his mind. He asked his wife, well, have you noticed anything different about our daughter? Yes, she's so much smarter than ordinary children. Why, sweetheart? Well, I haven't told you this, and I don't want to alarm you, but I'm afraid for you and our daughter. Knowing all the things she knows and how incredibly intelligent she is, is bringing too much attention to our home. And I was thinking about leaving Fargo, but each time the moment I think about it, our baby comes to me from some other part of the house and says, Daddy, I don't want to leave Fargo. What do you make of that? She's scaring me. As It's as if she's reading my mind, and it wasn't the first time. She's done that three times now. Now that you mentioned it, she knew exactly what I was getting you for our 10th wedding anniversary, and I never told her. She told me. What's wrong with our baby, Leo? Do you think she could have some kind of a syndrome? Something the pediatrician hadn't discovered yet? Her checkups are fine said Ayara. I don't think they can explain what's wrong with her. She has an innate ability no other human being has, to my knowledge. It's called telepathy. Most people use it as a gimmick on TV, but our daughter has it naturally. I don't know what else it could be. Let's just keep this to ourselves. After all, she'll be out of their schools soon. Day after day, they were getting to know much more significant information about their daughter. And the more they talked, the more they learned that she became increasingly interested in military life, space travel, exploration of Africa, and its beginnings pertaining to its past. Leo knew there would be no better time for him than to tell her about the three spacecrafts he guarded years ago. He told her everything from the beginning of the mission to unearthing of the Pentagon, Hexagon, and the Triangle ships. She had always known about the ships well before the day she spoke her first words, but being who she was, she couldn't tell father. Femi knew then when she became of some age, she would have to go and set them free. There were times when Ayura purchased her daughter dolls and other girly toys and presents, but Femi quickly became bored with the gifts. It wasn't that she disliked being a little girl. It was the fact that her mind over-exceeded the non-important things in life from her point of view. She was too advanced to play with toys. After a few years had gone by when Leo thought it was time to see Dr. Ocellus at the Air Force Base, maybe she could help him sort out what might be happening with his daughter. But he also knew he would have to discuss it with his wife first. A year would be hysterical, completely out of her mind about anyone seeing poking or prodding on her daughter, and at the least not Dr. Ocellus or anyone connected to the mission. She knew what it was like being poked and prodded. It had been 11 long years since she had spoken to the doctor or his friends he left behind when he retired from the Air Force. I'm sorry, when he retired from the force. He wondered if his old buddy Garvin was still stationed at Minot. If he is there, he would have some influence by now. Without a year's knowledge, 
Leo decided to give his former boss a visit to the base. When he arrived, he was granted a pass onto the base by both Dr. Ocellus and General Miller. He was given an escort to the general's office. After entering the office, Avery, looking the same but slightly older now, stood and greeted Leo with the handshake of a 20-year-old. He said, Leo, my friend, how are you? What brings you here? Ready to re-enlist and take my place? No, sir. I found out my old buddy Garvin continues to serve here, so I decided to pay him a visit. I could have met him downtown, but when I found out you were here too, I thought I would say hello. That's okay, isn't it? Yes, indeed. I'm glad you, to see you. And guess who else is here? Who? The entire gang from Africa, including the spaceship. Leo, I'm not supposed to be telling you this, but you already know our procedure. And if you wanted to tell, and if you wanted to tell someone, you would have by now. You're probably asking yourself how I knew. And now, don't get angry. But we've been tracking your every move. With today's technology, nothing is impossible. Well, I figured as much. I know how it works, he answered. Leo sat quiet for a moment. He knew his family was right next. He knew. Wow. I figured as much. I know how it works, he answered. Leo sat quiet for a moment. He knew that they knew his family was right next door to them. So how's Ayura and that very intelligent little daughter of yours? They are great, and I couldn't be happier, and I wanted to stay that way. Ayura doesn't know I came to visit you, and if she ever finds out, she'll have my ass on a grill. How long did it take you to know where we how long did it take you to know we were here? Cell phones, paper trails, and other things, you know. You were in the Marines for twenty three years, and before that you had two years of intel. Have you forgotten the secrets? I didn't forget. I just didn't care anymore. I should have known there was no hiding from you after that stint in the motherland. Too much information would get you killed. That's why they all, that's why they had all black Marines guarding them. They knew we wouldn't tell, unlike some others. Smart man. <laughs> when those ships gave Dr. Ocellus and the rest of the scientists these coordinates, and your paper trail and cell phone calls originating from North Carolina to North Dakota, we were out of our minds with amazement. It was fascinating how the ships found you. I informed the doctor that we would not seek you in a year out, the first 10 years. Instead, I told her that I knew you would come on your own. I told her I knew the man for 18 years and that you would show up eventually. Why? What does that have to do with my family? The buzz around town is about your is about the buzz around town is about an eleven year old is about an eleven year old black child with remarkable skills in everything she does, and it's not something that stays quiet if you know what I mean, especially in Fargo, one of the whitest places in America. They're talking about her, and that is why the doctor is foaming at the mouth. She knows your child has a lot to do with these ships. And they have not been quiet since we transported them to this location. Well, my daughter may be the smartest child you know right now, but that has nothing to do with what we what we were guarding years ago. You know how that sounds? It sounds ridiculous to me. I don't think so. Has your memory faded? Are you telling me you lied about your encounter with the Dogon people of Africa, the ones that scared the shit out of you in a year on your vacation? I think that's why you left the Carolinas. They followed you there, but instead of them following you here, the ships did. Remarkable. 
Just as the general spoke those words, a tap on his door revealed that when he said come in and the door opened, Dr. Ocellus was standing there. She greeted Leo with arms flinging around his neck and was very happy to see him. Hello, Leo. I've wanted to see you forever. How's your family? They're very well, thank you. That's good to hear. Uh, Leo, I hate to break this to you in a way that is short and unyielding, but we have to talk. It's very important that I talk to you in a year. With all due respect, doctor, our child, our daughter is off limits to anyone who thinks they can have access to her anytime they feel necessary. No way will I allow you to poke and prod into my child. She's not a lab rat. She's a human being, he said forcefully. Sir, Leo, I'm not asking to cage her up in some cold, unfeeling sterile room without any windows with needles and pins in her and electrodes dangling from her head. I just want a conversation with her to talk to her about anything she wants to talk about. I want to get to know her. Well, my wife and I know her, and that's enough for now. When she gets to be a grown woman, then you can have all the conversations you want with her. But right now, we are letting her be an 11-year-old child. Dr. Ocellus backed off her talk with Leo. Leo then turned to the general and asked, what are these people, when are these people going to learn that all things aren't a science? They are just gifts. I don't know, Leo, but listen to me and listen good. I have orders from the White House that you and the missus are not to leave town. Now, I know you're not in the military anymore, and I heard you have made a damn good cop. But the fact still remains that you and your family stay put until this mystery is solved. Why, Avery? Why do we, what do they want with us? Surely not my child. I don't know what they want, but they are scared shitless. The asshole in office now is a son of a bitch. No respect for black race, no respect for the black race, but he's my president and I have to respect that. So whatever secrets are hidden in your child's mind, he wants to tap into it. I will try and keep two steps ahead of what their plans are, but don't leave. I don't want anyone taking target practice on an innocent family, okay? Leo said nothing as he turned and walked out the door. Though he never got to see his old buddy Garvin, he hoped that he too would walk away and leave the service behind with all their hardened secrets and bullshit. He thought to himself he'd go, never go back to visit Minot again. When he arrived home, a year questioned where he questioned his whereabouts, and although he hid his jaunt to Minot from her, Femi knew where he went and why. She heard the entire conversation. But learning to calibrate when to speak and when not to, she knew why her father lied to her mother about the trip. After all, why would he keep Minot a secret from her? Okay, Sev, it's, it's a lot left after that. You think we can do this again next Thursday? Because I don't think you have much yeah, time yeah. there. Right, yeah. Okay. We can finish it out next week. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So, uh, all right. So it's getting interesting because his daughter. Now, uh, I see with those the dope was those the Dogon people, the guys that took the wife when she was in the swimming pool. You think they have yes, something uh-huh. to do with the pregnancy? Yes. Yes. They they had everything to do with the pregnancy. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. <laughs> so yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All righty. So that yeah, they were they were. Uh, mm-hmm. Go ahead. No, I was saying they had they were priming her. They were priming her for this. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
But, I mean, it's no telling what they were doing to her when they had her. Remember when they had her and and uh, whatever rituals they were doing uh, on her when they had her that time. Well, I think that this child is going to be a force to reckon with. And they were prepping okay. her for that because they, you know, they know that it's some stuff getting ready to go down where, you know, these these entities that's out here that's against, you know, the human beings, you know, they've right. got to have war with the human. So the human's going to have to have somebody to help them, you know, and, you know, they, they're going to have to have somebody to, to, to help them gain the confidence and the strength to overcome this mess that we're in. Uh-huh. Well, you know, you were really mm-hmm. tapped in because that really feels like and looks like what's going on right now where you got these crazy people running around here and they, you know, all this transgender and, and all of <laughs> And it just seems like the humans is under attack here, you know. So you was tapped into something back in 2006 because this show is uh, showing itself now. It's, it's I know. Time, but we're seeing it. Yeah, you know. And that's why I, I said that I, your, your, your story puts me in the mind of the Matrix because it, it was, it's so real. You know, it, it's what's really going on. So just like uh, that sister had tapped into something, it feels like that you have tapped into something also. Now, how can the people get your book? Well, uh, you know, right now I'm doing a I'm doing an audio book of all of these, and of course I just begun okay. I just started uh, with Gathering of the Vanguard, the second book. So I've got something out okay. there on uh, Gumroad.com, and also I'm working on the script, which you know you can pre-order the script. It's it, a script. It's like you know at the movies where you know they give each actor the script and their lines or whatever. This is what the bright light is going to be. I'm putting that in script right now. That's also on gumroad.com. But they can get the book at amazon.com, and they can also go to k-e-m-e-t-s-t-r-y files.com, and it's on my website mm-hmm. as well. Okay. And what was that first site you said? You said we Gumroad. Can get them at what? Gun rolling? They can go to gum, G-U-M, R O A D Gumroad dot com. Okay. And that's where yeah. Yeah, that's where the script is. And there's also there's a um uh author that I you know just met that's really just now getting into it. But mm-hmm. what they're doing is they're doing science fiction too, but it's real racy. So that that's on my mm-hmm. site too that, you know, they can go and take a look at it if they wanna take a look at those. But um, okay, yeah. I just, I just tapping into that. I had no, you know, like I said, I hadn't read this since I proofed them and sent them uh, okay. to be published. And when I, when I was reading this with you, it was like it's just, it was just a revelation for me. Weird, right? Yeah. So yeah, that is, is happening, and it's no coincidence at this time. You know, you you reading the book, so you know none of this is a coincidence. And people are really uh, getting the insight and starting to really, as they say, wake up or see what's going on. So you have a major part in all of this that's going on here right now. 
Well, I, I, and, I well, it's, <laughs> I'm just glad everybody, you know, I hope that they, you know, I don't know if anybody was on the call line or, if, you know, if anybody was listening, but uh, I was hoping that, that, you know, they would call in and, uh, you know, just check it out. But yeah, that's, that's yeah. cool. I don't, I don't know where it come from, but I, I like sharing it with everybody. Great. Great. Well, Sister Seta, uh, it's, it's a pleasure. I enjoy to be able to uh, listen to the audio book, and it's not too often that you get it read directly from the author and have things to and explain things. So this is a pleasure, and I look forward to next Thursday at the same time so we can get into uh, is it one more chapter in this book, or is that was that? It? I think it's, I think it's it's one more chapter in this book, and then we'll be okay. done out of the bright light. Right. Mm-hmm. All right, mm-hmm. excellent, excellent. And uh, we got the holidays coming up, and so these will make some great gifts uh, to give during the holidays, and um, and also it's I, I just think it helped people to help them. Uh, enlighten or tap in, you know, because they're picking up your energy and it's just, and what you tapping into. And it's also, I feel like helping other people to tap in also. So this is good. Mm -hmm. This is really good. And again, I appreciate you. I appreciate the work that you do. And I look forward to next week. And thank you so much. Well, Sister Bev, I appreciate you giving me the platform to do this. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. All right. Well, I'll talk to you next week. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And and I'll be on uh, tomorrow with uh, Brother Tuckmo. Peace and love. And this song.
From regular expenses to occasional splurges, there's a lot to buy. Why not get cash back every time you spend? With the PenFed Power Cash Rewards Card, you get cash back on every purchase. That's everywhere, every time you use it. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash to apply. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Here's three great reasons to get the new Samsung Galaxy S21 5G at T-Mobile. One, it's free for both current and new customers when you trade in an eligible device. Two, T-Mobile's the leader in 5G coverage. So three, you can unleash 5G speeds in more places with your new phone. Get the new Galaxy S21 free at T-Mobile, the leader in 5G coverage. Phone via 24-monthly bill credits plus tax. If you cancel credit, stop and balance on required finance agreement may be due. Contact us. Qualifying credit and consumer plan required. See details at T-Mobile.com.